Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventurism.net. I'm Sean Claybury, your host, and with me today, co-hosts are Caleb Wells. Hey, how's hey, it Caleb? going? Good, good, good. And uh, Wei Lu. Sean, Caleb, how's Hi. it going? Hey, it's good. It's cold down there. It's been a while since we've all been together. It has. Well, just, it has been, yeah. Been a couple yeah we've all been busy, busy, busy. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So, I did the last a time uh, lunch you... and learn on Mediator today. <laughs> so, yeah, that was interesting. When's the last time you've seen snow, Wei? You know what? We go to the snow place like it's like forty-five minutes drive away from where I live, but it's like it's just fake snow, and it's just like a it's just Wonder Mountain, and it's just for kids to build a snowman on. But it's just yeah, it's, okay. so it's real snow. Yeah, it's uh, it's that three hours away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> such a good singing voice. <laughs> yeah. Man, real snow for me is like at least six or seven, and that's in the middle of winter. So yeah, at least. Mm. <laughs> You can borrow some of mine. You can borrow mine in the winter, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's bring out our guest. Let's welcome Kevin Bost. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, guys. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Kevin. And full full disclosure to our listeners, Kevin and I work together, so there's no softball questions. No softball (laughs) questions. I expect nothing less (laughs) than you. (laughs) Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. All right, Kevin. So uh, I think what we're going to talk about is uh, WPF. Yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. So WPF, (laughs) Windows Presentation Foundation, desktop app technology for Windows. Um, And Before anybody asks, no, not cross-platform, Windows only. WPF, I'm going to date myself a little bit, actually came out just after I started doing software development. So if that kind of ballparks age for, for some people, um, I think it, I believe it was Visual Studio 2003 that had the first kind of WYSIWYG editor uh, built into it. So when most people hear WPF, the kind of the, the first obvious question is why? Yeah, it's old. Why, why is it still around? Why hasn't it died off yet? And part of the reason is because it's mature and very stable. Uh, Most of us actually use WPF, or at least I do, on a daily basis because Visual Studio, in a large part, has quite a few WPF components. So you will see that get thrown around a lot. I usually tell people when they're picking their frameworks, look at who the big, big companies are that are backing them, and you don't have to worry about it going away until they start pulling their support or migrating away from it, which... In Microsoft's case, it's it's not going to die as long as Visual Studio is still leveraging it because that's kind of the the bread and butter. The so, so when yeah. I'm making a Wim Forms app, I'm behind the times. Well, not not necessarily. Like Windows Forms, WPF was billed as this upgrade to Windows Forms, but the the last I heard, Windows Forms actually has a larger uh, base than WPF itself. I, I think Windows Forms had the advantage of being kind of one of the first really great ones to market and took off because of it and and some people have right. never never moved away from it so my my B, my vb6 stuff is still good i mean if that's where if that's what you want to <laughs> powwow on was, i'm not so great you. you know drag and drop and you know edit continue you know work yeah. perfectly and in many ways still does like one of the bigger updates that windows forms and wpf got recently was around the the WYSIWYG designer inside of visual studio of actually trying to build out better tooling support, bringing it forward to all the, what used to be .NET Core, now .NET, so that you can have .NET 6 and all of the the goodness support and everything that comes along with that. Just by way of mentioning it, there are other options out there because WPF came out and it's not perfect. 
Like most people will quickly point out its various flaws, one of which can be around some of the performance bits that it has, because it is very much built and tied with DirectX. So some of the more higher performance stuff that you got with kind of like the Windows 8 Metro app days, the shoot, I'm blanking, the fluent design where they have the acrylic background that Mm -hmm. you see on a lot of the Windows apps. That's one of those things that's nigh impossible in WPF because it, it just isn't the the rendering stack just can't handle it. And that's part of why Microsoft went forward with things like the Universal Windows platform, UWP or WinUI and WinUI 2 and 3. And that's typically when people are like, well, why WPF? I've got all of these newer platforms. It's like you do. And those ones are out there. WinUI 3 is the current one that is expected to be the next big desktop platform. I'm rooting for it, but UWP was also supposed to be that, and it, it didn't become that. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping WinUI 3 actually ends up being that, that nicer desktop platform with all of the new functionality and the, the prettier rendering built into it. But WinUI 3, at least in my opinion, is still kind of in its infancy. There are stuff that is trivial that you can do in other platforms that are that is just straight difficult. Something as simple as, hey, I want to set the icon for my window. That shouldn't be hard. That should be a sign icon here. Done. And in WinUI 3, there's just some stuff where there's not APIs built out yet. And it's, it's like, great, I want it. It's just not there. And I know the team's been quickly plowing through all kinds of feature requests, but it's it's one of those. It's it's great. Um, it also ties into like Maui as well. So the the multiple app UI architecture, formerly known as Xamarin, where you can actually build out a single app with different front ends. They do have a Windows head that leverages WinUI in order to do that. But it's sort of now an abstraction on top of WinUI. You don't gain much more than what WinUI has under the hood or what you could do natively. So at least in terms of the other stuff that's out there, WPF still is one of the ones that has the biggest community and lots of third-party support for tooling and support and all of that stuff kind of out there and in the box, if that makes sense. I'm curious, Kevin, I'm a web guy. I mean, through and through, right? So I can't remember the last time I did a a desktop application. What kind of applications do you develop with WPF these days? What, Mm -hmm. what's kind of the focus uh, that you see in that, that area? Yeah. No, that's a great question because a lot of people immediately gravitate towards web because web is the, the universal platform for deployment, right? I don't, I don't care what my users are running on. Everybody has a web browser and I can, I can build something out and go through and do it. And I think in a lot of ways, web is slowly expanding and taking over areas that used to be the domain of thick client applications because though thick clients, they, there are some benefits the web is slowly gaining more and more features of what it can do. Like in my day job, one of the ones that I was working on earlier today involved a, a video processing application, right? Like even as as we record this using a web-based application, web-based has limitations when you start talking about being able to consume some of the raw power of the device. And so for some things, it, web hasn't quite completely usurped the entire thing, right? Most of us we like developing in Visual Studio. I don't like developing in VS Code in a browser for anything significant. Like VS Code is great, but the the code spaces stuff and all web based doesn't doesn't give me that same feeling of of nice snappy performance and that kind of thing. So I would say anything that really comes down to needing the more power out of the local device, it, it doesn't seem like it lends itself well for web versus desktop based. Now with that said, most enterprises. I mean, it's, it's forms or text boxes over data, right? Like that's some data comes in, some data goes out. And that's the, I think, probably the lion's share of applications that get built. And I think that like web just eats that for breakfast. That's, that's easy mode for, for being able to do that kind of thing. So yeah, I, it's definitely a smaller subset of apps than existed previously. Cause again, WPF came out back before we had reasonable web stuff. Back when Internet Explorer was still right. a thing and a, the bane of support and <laughs> all of that. Kind well, of thing. it is still a thing, unfortunately. It shouldn't oh, be. Yes. Um, but yeah. No, you're I, right. think one of the, I think one of the biggest struggles that uh, a web person has when they try to write a desktop app is having to really worry about threading. You know, on the yeah. web, you don't really, mm-hmm. you don't, you're not concerned about locking the UI thread or anything. You just kind of does it and everything runs itself. You got to worry about that when you're doing any kind of desktop application stuff. You're going to lock up 
DUI and people don't know why or what's the best way to, you know, prevent that and get around it. Yeah. And that's especially like even the, the C sharp language team ended up kind of doing battle with that a little bit when they brought in async and await because part of that come that comes in with that is the the obnoxious little uh, continue with method that exists on the end of all of your tasks for figuring out if you need to capture the execution context to go back to that original thread after the await happens. Now, web developers they don't need to think about it most of the time. They don't they don't necessarily have an execution context. It's like yeah, all the threads are equal. What's this UI thread you guys keep screaming about? And as a desktop app, you do end up having to actually worry about that. I did um, a live stream probably a couple months ago on async and await specifically around desktop apps and all of the subtleties that that slowly creep their way in. It's somewhat painful. And yeah, web developers, ASP.NET Core has kind of spoiled them just a little bit. (laughs) They get this really nice, really nice setup. Actually, one of the more popular ones, because WPF doesn't come with a lot of stuff in the box per se. Like you can take Visual Studio new project and get a, you know, a hello world app up and running in just a moment. It that's that's easy. As soon as you go to start doing more advanced stuff, you realize how little is actually set up there. Like ASP.NET Core, they spent a lot of effort dealing with things like the startup to make sure like DI was a nice first party citizen. All of that stuff kind of flows through. And when they brought in the generic host idea, you can use that inside of a desktop app. And some people don't realize that that's even possible, that you can kind of get that same startup behavior in WPF, but you have to do work. Like you actually have to bring in the packages. You have to do the appropriate setup. That's not something that you get out of the gate with file new project. And oftentimes when I show people that, they're like, wait, you can do all of this? It's like, yes, it's great. As long as you set your, your project up, I hate to use the word correctly, but it's kind of correctly to begin with. You can get all of that that magic sort of out of the box. And there's been a lot of places over the years that have spent a whole bunch of time building out frameworks kind of around WPF. Prism's probably one of the bigger ones that's still around at the moment that is all around trying to give you kind of like that uh, life cycle style management and the model view, view model, MVVM pattern functionality kind of in the box because none of that is there. Despite the fact that WPF was built with uh, like MVVM and bindings in mind to doing the UI update, they didn't put anything really in the box for it. Everybody always yeah, just in their package. Because it's Microsoft just not updating their like, Visual Studio template for WPF because it's not getting any love. Yeah, uh, so WPF not getting any love is definitely one of the, I would say, community complaints. The, so the, the repo, Microsoft person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I love I love being involved in some of like their community calls that they do out on YouTube. And the WPF repo is open source out on GitHub. And just recently, Microsoft has actually started giving community members, I believe, triage access, if I'm not mistaken, to start actually going through and doing it. It hasn't gotten nearly as much love as the WinForm side. And I think a lot of that comes down to the WinForm side has a, a bigger base. So a lot more hands to, to help spread the work. WPF doesn't have as many. So from a pure numbers perspective, it kind of makes sense. But that's also the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We invest in what's doing well, and therefore what we invested in did well. It's like, yeah, that's that's the way it works. But it would be nice to see more stuff go in. Because it's so mature, though, I don't see them making a lot of changes that could, could potentially be breaking. One of the things that they did do, though, is they brought in a... It used to be called, uh, I'm going to blank on the name, Microsoft something MVVM as a NuGet package. It's now the Community Toolkit MVVM. And they just had a major release for the 8.0 uh, two or three weeks ago. And it, it actually brings a lot of really nice stuff into not just WPF, but any of the MVVM frameworks as well. Because they added in a lot of source generators. Because before setting up your view model, it's like, I want to make this bindable property. I got to type all this boilerplate code. Well, source generators, that's the their purpose in life is to start getting rid of all of that boilerplate. And so you can now take what used to take 40, 50 lines of code of a view model, make a partial class, slap a couple attributes on it. And now you've got a whole bunch of functionality just in the box. And in the box, it's technically generated code inside of your project, but now you get that that functionality really well. And so typically when I'm showing somebody a WPF application, there's a handful of NuGet packages that I just immediately bring in right out of the gate. Things for the generic host, the Microsoft DI libraries, and and any of the extensions that 
I intend to use for that. Like if you're going to do any Azure communication, bring in the same libraries that you would have for your ASP.NET Core stuff. And then in terms of just straight UI, the Microsoft default templates for WPF kind of feel a little old and dated. They've gotten a little bit of love at different Windows releases to try to update them so that it looks reasonable to match kind of the current flavor of Windows. But um, one mistake that Microsoft made way back when they first did it is the default icon for a WPF application didn't look like crap. It wasn't great, but it didn't look like crap. And so people didn't change it. And I think one of the things that they, they, they did correct for like UWP and WinUI is they made the icon a box with an X. Very clearly, this is garbage. Please replace with your icon. We are putting something here so you know where it goes, but please don't, please don't keep it. And that w- that's one of the things, like even Windows Forms, that I'm trying to remember, it's got like the three or four colored boxes down in there. It doesn't look great, but occasionally you can always pick out when somebody hasn't updated the defaults because it's like, yep, uh, I recognize that one sitting there. So for um, somebody that's, it, that's, that's never done WPF before, you know, what are the kind of the key things to know about, you know, before you get started and you first, you know, launch that template? I've gotten in there sometimes and I kind of get lost with the layout because I'm used to doing a web layout and it, you know, it does a lot of things differently when I'm doing WPF versus a web layout. Or what are the th- things that somebody needs to know to get started? Yeah. So I would say the, the first thing I think goes back to that initial question of should it be a desktop app? Like that's always a very valid first question to ask is what you're building, is it the right framework and platform? Assuming the answer is yes, the the first thing I, I always tell people is WPF can be built like a WinForms application where you just register for click handlers and build it out. But it really is designed for a MVVM, the model view view model pattern for architecture, where you have this separation between your view code, which is typically XAML, You've got some sort of view model behind it and bindings bringing both halves together. And so investing and actually learning that pattern and how that works in WPF is very worthwhile. It's There's some things in WPF where the bindings just make everything easier. Something as simple as, hey, I want I want a list box with a whole bunch of stuff in it, right? To list out all my users or whatever. With MVVM and binding, that becomes really easy once you understand what to do. You, you can certainly do it with the, you know, the code behind WinForms approach to things. That's it, nothing stops you, but you're working a lot harder than you need to do. So spending time learning it, I usually tell people that it is a steep learning curve and well worth it. So for what it's worth. Uh, and then I think just making sure you start off with the understanding that you probably want to pull in a handful of NuGet packages to start with because the stuff in the box is a little bit limiting without anything else. And I, I'd mentioned the community toolkit uh, MVVM library for that. In terms of UI to make things look pretty, there's a couple packages that I usually tell people to go and look at. One is the one that I maintain, so Material Design and XAML. Its aim is to take Google's Material Design, so the look and feel that you're used to with like Android or Material Design on the web, and bring those same styles down to WPF controls so that you can get nice, arguably prettier looking than the default uh, behavior. Now, some people immediately hate me for it simply because they're like, you're putting Google's design on Windows. How dare you? Do not mix my Google and my Windows together. Stop it. But in my opinion, material design is actually a fairly pretty looking UI. I never understand people who hate their desktop apps to have material design, but don't mind using websites that do. It's like they're both apps running on a Windows box. Like what's what's the big <laughs> I don't I don't yeah, see the difference yeah. here. <laughs> you, you've been working on that for quite some time. Well, and materials well thought out. Yeah. 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 You've been working on it quite some time. So you know, how complete is it compared to you know the full Google design? Have you implemented everything? So everything that was in the material design two spec, there is at least reasonable stuff with it. The there's a little bit of a mismatch in because the material design outlines kind of guidelines for controls, but as soon as you drop into a specific framework, some frameworks have controls that don't really exist in material designs space, like the, the data grid control of what people are used to in like, say, Excel. And there's the built-in support in WPF where you can just drop that in. But there's not actually a well-defined spec for that in the material design components. They've got grids and similar things, and you can kind of start to infer things back and forth. But there's, but not everything is a, a one-to-one matching. And so there's been a handful of controls and features where it's, there isn't a there isn't a great guidance here, so we're going to take a best cut and 
there is no one right answer. They did come out with Material Design 3. It's probably been six months or so ago. And there is work adding in the changes to support Material Design 3 into the library as well. I think we've gotten four or five of the controls implemented there. But if you bring in the package, you can kind of pick and choose whether you want the the Material Design 2 controls, Material Design 3 controls, mix and match to your heart's content. Obviously, you, you can certainly always pick things that look horrible. I mean, people can pick fuchsia for their colors if they want to. I don't think it's a great idea, but you can. I, try, so I do my best to try to make it this? be unopinion. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Give people the control if they want to do, even if it's in poor taste. So <laughs> how how does this work in XAML? How do you, because I'm, right, I, I know what XAML is, but I don't use it. How do you inject or handle styling and JavaScript and webby stuff in XAML? Yes, that, so that's a great question. So built into XAML itself, so not even WPF specific, but just normal XAML. There's a concept of a style, which like Mm -hmm. there's a rough correlation back to like CSS of how things are laid out. And styles can be implicitly applied to controls based on type. So very similar to how you might apply a, a CSS selector to all elements of a given type, a similar thing can be done in WPF. So the library itself, when you bring it in, there's a one line that you have to add to your application to say, hey, import all the default styles. And all that does is bring in a set of styles that target all of the built-in controls. So if you've got a third-party control, obviously, I don't have a style for that in my library. I, we've only templated out the, the built-in WPF controls. So you would have to add something like that yourself. But at least with that one line, it effectively brings in the equivalent of like that style sheet that applies it and gets you gets you off to the races and up and going. And what are now, the styles positioning? in? Yeah. Is, what, is it, is it CSS or...? Well, what are the styles so the style, like? What language is in there? Yeah. So th- all of the styles inside of it are written in XAML. Now with that, so it's an XML-based language. This is often another one of those cases where web developers love to, yeah, yeah. So Caleb's <laughs> making a, uh, I don't know how I'm to say, a disgusted face or terrified <laughs> face. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to find the right word yeah. for it. Yes. Right. And, and this yeah. is one where web developers rightfully so have a, have a, a cleaner, a cleaner syntax to work with because declaring your styles out in an XML based language has predictable results. So you get deeply nested <laughs> XML. It gets, it gets longer than it probably needs to be in a lot of cases. And that, that somewhat harkens back to a little bit of the, the age of WPF. The, the Xamarin and Maui teams, they actually decided, you know, these styles and CSS, they're sort of serving the same behavior. So, Inside of Xamarin Forms in Maui, you can actually take CSS. Actually, maybe I should, I should be careful. I don't remember if they backported that to Forms. At least in Maui, you can bring in CSS and apply CSS to your app the same way you would a web application. So they gave a flavor for web developers that are looking to kind of move into the thicker client applications, a means of sort of leveraging that existing knowledge that they have around doing it, which is, in my opinion, great. So I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD. Why did you start Raygun? You know, I I started Raygun. It was actually our 11th product that we built. So, you know, if you're a fellow software engineer thinking you want to build something and build a business, this was the 11th try, right? And we built it because way back when I was writing more code for customers, I used to instrument my code to send an email to myself when something went wrong. And it would let me kind of get in front of the issue before the customer complained. And so we built a a whole product called Raygun for crash reporting initially. Uh, It expanded out into other areas, but it was really just building a full solution to what I'd been doing years earlier to try and build better software. I love that. Just scratching your own itch. It makes a ton of sense. And, And I do that too with some of the stuff that I'm doing, either with podcasting or programming. Yeah, absolutely. The The most awkward thing was when we actually instrumented some of those prior 11 products. And that's when we realized that about 1% of users will ever actually report an issue. And you go, oh, we might have been a lot more successful earlier if we'd known that. <laughs> so that's kind of the whole value prop of Raygun. Yep, absolutely. And it, it makes sense just to put it in there. So folks, if you're looking to try something like this, that'll tell you what your problems are, go check out raygun.com and get a free trial. Well, I can say this, then that makes it all that more important or valuable or should be appreciated that you've developed this library that does it for people. 
right? So they don't have to get into all the nasty XML trees with the styling or whatnot. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, I might use WPF and, and I can tell you right now, thank you. If, if I use it, I'd be all over it. Yeah, and I, I will point out too, I am not actually the original author of the library for, for what it's worth. Several years ago, the original author was, uh, I'll say, I'll describe it as fighting burnout. And I was a popular contributor. And so he asked me if I was interested in taking over as maintainer of the library. And I was like, yes, I, I'm, I do it because I find it fun, which is also like, because I, I do live coding on Twitch for streaming. And because uh, people have asked me, oh, well, can you cover this? Can you do that? I'm like, sure. But ultimately, I started doing this live coding because I'm having fun and just kind of sharing that with everyone else of let's have let's have fun building something. Let's have fun doing it. And I figure if I'm having fun, even if nobody else is watching or enjoying it, at least I'm enjoying myself. And that's that gets me at least through, through the stream, however, however it works out. There Absolutely. are a couple other libraries I, I would highlight, too, if anybody's getting ready to, uh, to dive into WPF. There's another UI library called Ma Apps, M-A-H Apps, that is exceptional. There's actually an integration package for My Material Design Library and Ma Apps because they add a few additional controls that people want that aren't in the box. The other thing that they add is Window Chrome support. So My Material Design Library doesn't do anything with your basic Windows Chrome, so the, the border around your window. If you want to customize that, you end up either dropping into some lower level APIs or just bring in something like my apps where they have a nice window base that you can then customize. So you want to change up how the X thing looks. You want to make your window look like a Mac window for some reason. Great. Have at it. You can do that. Should you? Probably not, but you can. It's definitely <laughs> a worthwhile thing to look at. And like I said, if you want to leverage it with the material design library, there is a, a theme package that you can add in that then brings that those same style theming ideas to the Ma apps control as well. Cool. The other thing that got added in Visual Studio not that long ago, or I should say got better not that long ago, was their live visual debugging. Again, web developers were spoiled for so long, right? They fire up their application. They can go in and start mucking with their, their UI and see things change in real time and go, yeah, that's what I wanted it to look like. And us desktop developers have been going, man, that'd be really cool. <laughs> but fairly recently, Microsoft did bring in hot reload to try to give us that kind of same functionality. It's not near, it doesn't work nearly as reliably as the web stuff does, but when it works, it's really nice. At least because I like to be able to see what my app looks like while it's running, not seeing a preview of it in the designer of what it might look like when it's running, right? I want to actually see the running application and I want to move stuff around and go, yeah, that button doesn't look like, let's move it over a little, right? And adjust that kind of thing. And so being able to see that stuff flow through has been really great. It does come with a like a visual tree inspector for web developers. Think of this like looking at your DOM, because even though you write XAML for your WPF UI, the, the XAML that you write and the, the runtime tree are not equivalent, right? I may put one line of XAML that expands out at runtime into 300 lines of XAML. And so being able to go through and inspect that, oftentimes people are like, I put a button how come I get all of this extra stuff onto it? It's like, well, when you brought in my material design library, you said button, and I've got a control template that says, well, a button consists of an icon here, a background border here, a text bit over here. Like there's a bunch of things that go into making up what button is. And in terms of investigating it, the Visual Studio stuff is good, but there's another project out there called Snoop that has been around for much longer than the Visual Studio stuff has been and is absolutely exceptional. So it gives you a lot of the the toys that you would hope would have been in the box out of the gate from breaking apart your visual tree. You can have it arbitrarily just invoke C-sharp methods for you. You can muck with properties at runtime. For fun, you can even take Snoop and point it at Visual Studio. Um, there's been a number of times where I've had issues with like Visual Studio UI elements because I run my fonts at bigger than default. And I'm fairly confident people don't test that case. And so things get cut off. I don't see buttons. It's like, where's the okay button on this dialogue? So you can actually point Snoop at any WPF component and then go in and muck with it at runtime and just tweak stuff around and go, let me adjust that for you real quick and figure out what this is going to look like. So anybody doing WPF development, I would highly recommend adding Snoop to your tool belt because it is very much a, a must-have tool for being able to understand what's going on and then be able to tweak stuff back and forth. So how about testing with WPF? You're going to test most of your backend code. 
just using you know regular U- X unit unit tests and things like that. But mm-hmm. how about you UI testing with with WPF? What's that like? So there's a couple ways to go about doing it. There is, and I'm probably going to butcher it. The the UI automation stuff that existed in Windows um, hasn't received updates very much recently. It used to be the the go to option for most people because it was more or less the de facto only option there. Uh, Playwright has actually come out with a a desktop head that you can use to go through and test it. So anybody who's used Playwright to go through and do UI testing for their web apps will probably feel fairly fairly close at home. Oh, that's with nice. Of, I, just, I just picked up on Playwright. So that was on the oh, projects that I'm working on. I had to go out and find yeah. the tools and uh, ended up on Playwright. Yeah, which I've been really impressed with it. It is, it is amazing, especially for going through and doing it. It's worth noting, though, when you're doing UI testing on a desktop application, most of these libraries go through the, trying to blank on it, the, the automation APIs, which are aimed at simulating user interaction, which is really great until you say that you want to write a UI test that validates that, say, your button turns red when there's invalid input. The, the automation APIs don't expose that information. And I love picking on background color because that one feels like the most trivial thing to want to, to write a UI test on that just doesn't exist. I actually, so I've built out a handful of additional tools and libraries, largely driven by the material design project that I was working on. Because the material design project, it's a, a style and a theming library for WPF. That's really hard to write a unit test over. Like, how do you assert that the control looks right? That, that, that's not an easy assertion. And I wasn't about to start like taking screenshots and doing bitmap comparison. That just felt like a, a nightmare to go through and do. Um, I actually ended up building my own UI automation library called XAML Test, specifically to go through and handle these cases. And it's worth noting, I don't think XAML Test actually competes with like the Playwright or the UI automation stuff because they're aimed at solving slightly different problems. If you are building an application and you want to simulate user interaction and build tests that way, that's coming at it at a slightly higher level. That's the black box level testing of your app where you're trying to just interact with what's there. XAML test takes a very different approach where it injects itself into the running application and aims to give you that low level visual tree interaction. So I can go through and manipulate your UI elements. I can go through and pull out any property that I want. So if I want to validate that, yes, this button turned red when you typed in an invalid password, great. I can write that test and go through and build it out. It also was designed to be able to test for the material design library. A lot of the styles have triggers that allow you to do conditional style logic. And so being able to validate that those triggers are working correctly that, hey, when I when I click this, I expect the thing to disable after it's been clicked once. Great. I want to write that test where I, you know, validate, you know, is it enabled true? I click, is enabled false? It's a simple test for me to write. And I want to write it with what feels like a unit testy type framework, but without doing it. The other way people sometimes write UI tests in WPF is they'll just take their standard unit test library and deal with the threading that way. The Because you have the UI thread that you're dealing with. So without diving too deep into it, there's the apartment states of your thread, the single threaded versus multi-threaded apartments, where your UI thread is STA, the single threaded apartment. You, for things like XUnit, there's extensions that will let you run a test where the thread running it runs as an STA thread, which lets you instantiate a UI object and then touch it and go back and forth and make some assertions on it. The part that I really did not like about that is then you are testing UI components outside of the WPF kind of rendering pipeline. And so WPF, when you put a control inside of a window, it will do things like automatically measure, lay out the control, all of the useful stuff. And I wanted to have something that would actually leverage that rather than trying to simulate that in my test. Because manually calling like a range and measure and all of that to to simulate what WPF would do when I put that control in a real window just left me with a bad taste in my mouth. There was too many cases where I was doing stuff in my test to mimic what the real app would do that I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring it in. So it's, it's definitely there. And I duplicate that stuff basically. Exactly. And so that's why I wrote XAML test where it basically starts up a WPF shell that you can just dump arbitrary content into and then write tests back and forth. And so it's just gRPC between your test host and the running WPF application 
just being able to do that communication, but it is two separate processes so that you have that full WPF app experience and you can get access to everything as though it were a running app. And again, I built it for the material design library, but I've had a couple of people say that they pulled it into other things. I'm like, great, have at it. If it works for you, perfect. But again, it is it is testing at a little bit lower level. It's no longer black box level testing. So it does kind of depend on what, what you're looking to gain from the tests, but it does fill in kind of that middle ground that I felt was missing between kind of conventional UI tests and unit tests. Because it didn't feel like there was a lot of middle ground there for what for what I was building with a library. So but it's been a, it's been a very fun project to to work on and build. So just wanted to ask, like if you, you know, if I got marked into my um, you know, manager's office or something and they're like, you know, we need to build a new desktop app, at what in which scenario would would I kind of recommend using WPF? Mm, that's a good question. So, a couple factors I would probably be looking at. One would be um, skill and knowledge of the team because again, knowledge of XAML and MVVM like I said earlier, is a steep learning curve, but worth it. And I think it, it depends on if that's what, what people are are knowledgeable on. Because WinForms does, uh, again, works very well. It is still a viable choice for some desktop applications. And depending on people's knowledge and skill set, one could argue that it is easier in, in some ways to do it because you don't get as much magic out of the box, but y- you write the code and it does exactly what you tell it to do. Now, oftentimes you realize, oh, I have to write a bunch of lines of code to make it do exactly what I want, but I can write all those lines of code. I'm not trying to deal with kind of weird abstractions of, well, hang on, I wrote this in XAML, and now how do I do the same thing in C Sharp? How do I manipulate this? Like, There's not that extra learning curve that goes along with it. it in my opinion, WinForms is very much, you get exactly... WinForms is, is, I think it's... It's so intuitive when you think about it because Microsoft is doing all this citizen developer stuff with, you know, on the Power Platform with their Canvas apps and stuff, and it's very, very similar to, to, to WinForms. Um, and I think it's, it is just like that because for a non-developer, if you're targeting a low-code audience, it is actually the the easiest place to start. So yeah, and the WYSIWYG editor on WinForms is it's very easy for for people going. We've taught classes for university students quite a bit, and there was a big debate about what what framework do you actually teach them? Because the goal was to teach them event-based programming. And, you know, click handlers on buttons are the easiest starting place. But then the question comes, okay, well, what framework with a button do you want to teach them? And and WinForms looked very appealing because it was, like you were saying, that very intuitive interface of I drag a button onto my thing, it stays there, it works. There's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of magic happening. It, like I put a button right there, there's a button right there. It doesn't go anywhere. But you also end up doing a bunch of other stuff. Like WinForms, my, my, usually my, my biggest selling point is everything default anchors top left, right? So you drag the window to make it bigger and all the UI elements stay fixed right where you left them, which again, it's doing exactly what you told it to do and, and nothing more. Um, whereas WPF, they, they actually change the defaults. They say, no, what we'd rather have is we'd rather have controls fill their containing space. By default. Now, some controls don't, but at least by default, most things are going to fill their container, which then means that at least when I resize my window, things start to resize and I start to see that resize rather than everything just staying fixed. For better or worse, sometimes debatable, but at least then it you kind of get something that feels a little better, at least from an end user experience. But it, it again does add that developer complexity of, okay, now I have to remember I have to change these, these flags now to make it not do that if that's what I'm looking for. Well, what about the others? Like, what about because WPF is not cross-platform, right? Correct. Yeah, if you're looking for cross-platform, Maui, Maui or Xamarin Forms are probably the the best options. Maui is, I, I think, I, I don't think I would pick is uh, Xamarin Forms now over Maui at all. Maui has some rough edges, but the amount of magic that it brings and simplicity that it brings over Xamarin Forms is significant. So both of those do allow you to write your front end in XAML. Maui brings in an alternate approach for your UI as well with what they called MVU based on the Comet library that existed for Xamarin Forms. So if you're still in Xamarin Forms and you want MVU, you can pull in Comet and get the same thing. They just brought it into the box. But it lets you write your UI in kind of a more C-sharpy layout type approach. And it gets you there. As far as uh, picking the other choices, WinUI like I said, I 
I'm really rooting for it to to be that nice WPF replacement. I don't think it's I don't think it's mature enough there. There's also not a lot of the same third party support for like extra controls. Like WPF and Windows Forms have been around for so long. All, like all your big names, your your Telerix, they've they've produced really nice libraries, and there is a breadth of third party support available to you, which which makes it really nice. Uh, like I said, WinUI three. If I was building something simple, I could I could go to it. Um, the other thing that I think people miss out on a lot is you can actually access the newer window APIs too, e- even inside of Windows Forms and WPF. So all of the magical stuff that came with like Windows 8, what was called Metro at the time, and all the new Windows 10 APIs, yeah. you you could dive into that. Uh, Project Centennial, I believe, I that was the code name for it. I, I don't remember if they renamed it or not when it came out, but you can actually get access to those. I don't want to, native APIs feels like the wrong term, but We'll say platform-specific APIs if you want to be able to dive into there, like leveraging the the notifications or similar. You can or the the live tiles inside of the start and that kind of thing. So that stuff is still available even on the the older platforms. You just have to pull in the appropriate packages to do so. Caleb Caleb might want to throw in uh, Blazor into that mix, you know, Blazor Desktop. <laughs> so you say that, but well, that's actually possible, though. Oh yeah, it is. It's and yeah. Yeah, Blazor's taking over the world. Um, <laughs> and I'm okay with that because I'm a Blazor guy. But yeah, it, there's some very interesting stuff you can do with Blazor these days, and they just keep pushing the, the boundaries. So time will tell, but it's a, it's a wonderful new world in the, the web where you could do C sharp all the way up and down. Yes, it, it absolutely is. I saw. A really cool demo where they actually compiled ASP.NET Core into WebAssembly, and I believe the the PM's description was this is potentially the worst possible way to serve up a web page is to bundle the server into WebAssembly and then serve it up. It's like, but as a proof of concept, right. it worked. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but definitely not recommended approach. Okay, Kevin. So, um, what things that we should cover that we haven't about WPF and that's a great question. So. I think the one thing I would want people to to take away from it is the obvious question of is WPF dead? My my strong opinion is no, and it's it's not going to die until Microsoft manages to port all of their somewhat what I would argue critical because Visual Studio is kind of critical off of it. I don't doubt that they've been considering ways of doing it, but it's it's been around. It is still a very viable platform to to build desktop apps on. It's still my go to option of choice. I was building just last night a, a theme editor. So my Git tool of choice is Git Kraken, and they added theming support. So naturally, I built a WPF application to go through and edit their theme files so that I could have for when you want Fuchsia in your Git client, because that's nice. that's what you nice. need. I mean, that was still one of those cases where I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a nice little desktop application to tweak these JSON files on my local system, because that's that's what's fun and that's what's useful for doing. So, because say you, I, you're so prolific. I've never seen anyone who is that passionate about WPF. Honestly, uh, like I, 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 I kind of missed the train. When, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome! That's what's great. Well, thank you. Yeah, like I said, it, it's one of those. I do it for fun. I unfortunately, when I first started out in my career, I, I worked for a company that was building a a WinForms application, and my my team lead kind of on a whim where we had a, an innovation sprint decided you know what we're porting this to wpf i was like in a in a sprint that seems ridiculous and we did it and i i quickly fell in love with wpf and i i don't believe i've looked back since so it's it's very much one of those frameworks i i don't doubt it's going to go away at some point that point is not today or this year but it's i i've loved i've loved it so far I feel like you'll be there to the end, won't you? <laughs> I, I probably will be. One of the last ones still sitting there. Run, run my own private fork of the repo as long as I possibly can. That, that's what makes Kevin great we to work him. with. You know, yeah. you know, he's he's always involved. He's always enthusiastic. You know, he does user group stuff. He does the Twitch stuff. He's always ready to just jump in and and make it something fun to work on. Yeah, I I very so, much you know, love there, all there's that definitely. Stuff. Well, I was going to say there's definitely some benefits to sticking with a framework or technology or language or whatever and becoming a master of your craft and not jumping to the next thing, right? Because in the web world, it's easy to jump to the next thing. Angular 
view React next week. Oh, there's this new one called Kooby Dooby Doo. Let's try it out, right? I mean, whatever. <laughs> you know. Um, so the fact that WPF has been around this long and it's and it works really well, like you said, it's really mature and it's something that you know really well. I I see that as a as a benefit uh, or a bonus all the way around. Yeah, it's definitely one of those skill sets that it's it's not overly highly desired if you look at like job postings or what what's there, but it's it's one of those the people who have wh- when it's needed, it's hard to find because I know we've definitely uh, Rashawn and I work we've at times struggled to try to hire people that know it well enough to work on it. it it's not a common for our clients to to want WPF work, but the few that do really want it. <laughs> definitely, it will become like the the COBOL of the um the Windows yeah. desktop world where you get paid like you know stupid amounts of money just to because you're the only one who knows it type thing i'm hoping i'm hoping <laughs> i'm still waiting for somebody to need classic asp work done and, you know pay yeah. money, you know yeah um, yeah and i think that's the thing is most people slowly start to upgrade and i think that's to microsoft's credit they've done a really good job of trying to bring things like the project centennial so that people can keep their wpf applications and slowly work them forward or even when, because um, .NET Core 3.1 was when they finally ported WPF over to Core and making it so that people do have those nice upgrade paths. So it's not like, well, WPF only works on Windows 7. Windows 7 falls out of support and, you know, whenever, and now you're dead, right? Making sure that, th- that it's still running and going forward, I think shows that there's at least that admission of, we can't just leave this in, in maintenance mode and let it time out with support end dates. It has to be, it has to be something that's supported going forward. So they still kind of give that love for WPF and bring that into core, but they won't do it for web forms. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's, that's the hint to you, Sean, that that high pay raise is coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My bank account is waiting for it. Excellent. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Great discussion. Really good. Yep. So if our questioners, our listeners have questions and they want to either watch you code or get in touch. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So you can find all of my links at kaboo.dev. That's K-E-B-O-O dot D-E-V. That'll get you links to Twitch, YouTube, any socials that I'm active on. You can find all of it there. Feel free to drop me a follow. Anybody who drops in on my, my YouTube or Twitch videos, I'm very happy to answer questions. There's been quite a few streams where if I've got people in asking questions about something, I do not mind rabbit trails at all. <laughs> I, I usually go into a stream with an idea of something that I want to do, but that's usually an idea that's loosely held. And if people are interested in something, I, I'm very happy to either divert or learn other things. Or even if you just want to leave a comment on one of the videos of something you'd like to see covered in the future, put together quite a few videos just based upon requests of, hey, I'd love to see it if you would cover this library or that. So always happy to interact with people. Okay. And if our listeners want to get in touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you. They can get in touch with me. I am on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And I'm at Caleb Wolf Codes. Yep. Are we doing picks? Yep. We're doing picks. We're doing picks. Okay. Yep. Okay. We're just, we're flip flopping. Flip and flopping. So they can, they can, you know, hear about us and contact us and then we can uh, do our picks. So yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Go ahead. Let's go. Way, what's your pick? So my pick this week is, it's just a TV show called Bob's Burgers. It's it's actually like really old, um, mm-hmm. but um, my um, my Netflix list is so backed up that um, I hardly ever get a chance to watch TV. So I'm starting to go through all the stuff from like ten years ago. So, but yeah, Bob's Burgers is kind of like a funny, kind of like a 
animated sitcom, I guess. And yeah, it's, it's got like, it's got like 10 seasons. I don't know if it's ended yet, but um, it's going to take me a while to get through it. So yeah, I thought that'd be my pick. Okay. Caleb, what's your pick? My pick is it's kind of similar to one you did. Maybe it was last episode or episode before about throwaway emails, right? Mine is not throwaway emails, but it is an email that will remove all trackers and all things that are following you. DuckDuckGo, now you can now get an email with an at duck.com and forward it to whatever emails you choose. And if you use that and you're signing up for an account, right, you're going to get newsletters, emails and stuff. When the email comes in, it'll tell you, remove tracker from this, remove tracker from this, remove tracker from this. So it's basically removing all that information that's tracking you and following you from the emails and you still get them. So I've and does it, it a few times. Does it cover your, um, does it hide your original email address as well? Yep. So then yep. you have they an alias basically? Your, they don't have it. All they have is your dot, dot com email. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Right? Yep. Cool. Nice. Yeah. All right. So uh, my pick this week is a TV show. It's an Amazon TV show. And it's I haven't watched it yet, but I watched the previews. And the shows will have started coming out just prior to this being published. So listeners, they can probably go out and uh, watch the show now. And I got to pick The Rings of Power. You know, the, the, oh, the, pre- the previews of it looks really, really nice. And I've always always been... Uh, a Tolkien fan and like that, you know, yeah. read The Hobbit way, way back in the day. So I, I love that show. I love the movies, everything. So the show starts uh, September 1st. And uh, okay. so, gotcha. yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. The, I was I was like, wait a minute. I've been watching the trailers. I'm ready for the first episode. I hope it doesn't suck. But okay, it hadn't come out just yet. Yeah, okay. they've yeah. got like five <laughs> different trailers out there. So they all look right. good. Right. So it's in the Lord of the Rings world, I'm guessing? Yep, yep. It's before the rings, basically. It's like pre- So before pre- the Hobbit, is it? Yep. So this is kind of yes. like how the rings yeah. got made. Ah, yeah. okay. How they came about. Yep. So the original author had wasn't the book written by the original author or anything? I, well, they, they made this stuff up. Yeah. He never oh, wrote yeah. this. He never wrote this. He, they just kind of oh. based it. And of course, they probably had to work with the family because the the family is still pretty, pretty, uh, protective, protective <laughs> and make sure that everything that they, that happens mm. is something they agree with. So yeah, they do that. Cool. All right, Kevin, cool. what do you got for picks? Cool. So, so mine, I love board games. Uh, my oh, wife yeah. and I spend a, a great deal of time doing it. One that recently came out is called, uh, Blood on the Clock Out. It's a, I'll say a party social deduction game. So for people who might be familiar with things like, one Night Ultimate Werewolf, or maybe the video game Among Us, where there's traitors and the townsfolk have to uh, suss out who is who is good and who is lying to them. It is it is a wonderful game. So that would be my pick for this week. Okay, man. I used to love board games. I just don't have a lot of friends around here to play them with anymore. I wonder if, you know, we need to develop a remote desktop video app where you can play board games across the world. You could use WPF, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> I was say, Tabletop Simulator, if you're not familiar with it, does work for that? Yeah. Anyway. Hi, guys. Great show. Great show. Uh, yep. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll catch everybody on the next episode of AdventuresIn.net. See you. Bye, y'all. Thanks, all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.